Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Wild swimming is something of a cousin to ocean swimming, or is ocean swimming a subset of wild swimming? Either way, wild swimming is huge across the world, and particularly in the UK and Europe. It's also often stunningly beautiful. Search wild swimming on Instagram and you'll see what I mean. Callum Hudson is the middle brother of the Wild Swimming Brothers, triathlete, ice swimmer, author, nature lover, swimming advocate, and wild swimmer. He has swum the world's most powerful maelstroms, escaped Alcatraz, and swum between continents. The Wild Swimming Brothers started with a 140km swim down the River Eden, as you do. We had a wonderful chat down the line from Singapore about the whole gamut of things that make up the world of wild swimming. The terminology wild swimming has become, you know, it's become quite big and quite fashionable in the UK. Is it, does, what I'm always interested in is, is that something that resonates with in Australia, do you think? Because to me, it seems like wild swimming is something that's relatively confined in terms of like the, a term that makes sense to some urban communities. Like you, England is so densely populated, um, very little wild left. So the concept of wild swimming seems to make sense to people whereas um, we're planning some swims in Canada and it doesn't quite have because they're like well what do you mean what we we always swim outside yeah right yep yep it's beautiful everywhere well we don't need to escape the city the city is in the the forest no I mean that's interesting so it's not a it, it wasn't a term that I had heard of before until the last little while so I'm not you know, a great ocean swimmer or anything. I just really quite enjoy it in, in summer. And Sydney, we're very lucky because you can go to the beach any day of the week if you like, and there's always um, there's always something on on the weekends you can go for a swim in the ocean. So I hadn't really thought too much about swimming in dams and rivers. And I mean, most of our rivers are drying up anyway. But um, but I, I can see in the UK uh, that it's, it's a different concept. It's swimming in, you know, cold outdoor rivers and lakes and dams i mean it's how would you describe wild swimming i would i would describe it as that it's more it's more about getting back in touch with nature so it's it 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 resonates mainly like we've seen it in terms of like so my brother runs a fitness magazine so he looks at a lot of our analytics and like where our subscribers are and where our you know we 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 published a book so we were looking at like who bought the book etc and it seems to be in, in cities, which is not necessarily what you would imagine. I think our like, biggest is London, Bristol, Manchester, et cetera. So the big kind of urban hotspots in the UK. And I think we're, we're from the Lake District originally, which is an area of England, which is it's the least sparsely populated county in England, I believe. Uh, you know, beautiful countryside. There's lakes everywhere. It's a swimmer's dream. Um, and we hadn't heard of the term either. Um, it wasn't something we were familiar with. We, the reason we're called the Wild Swimming Brothers, is obviously quite fortuitous. But our, we, our parents are divorced. We were kind of raised by our mum, and her last name is Wild. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're the Hudson Brothers, Jack, Callum, and Robbie. Um, but our mum is 
Tina Wilde and our grandma is Grandma Wilde and grandma lived, she lived in the Scottish Highlands. She was, um, yeah, she'd had, had no TV, like had a grass roofed house. She was probably one of the people in our lives who kind of got us really outdoors, in touch with nature. To, so when we were like, we've got to give ourselves a name, as you do, um, we didn't really want to be like the Hudson brothers. Yep. Um, so we're like, well, what can we come up, you know, give a nod to mum and grandma. And then obviously it kind of tied in nicely with that. That was the first time we'd really started to hear about people call it wild swimming. And, at, you know, I think there's a lot of people who, um, is it outdoor swimming? Is it wild swimming? Well, outdoor swimming could include a Lido, but yep. Yep. <laughs> wild swimming can't. Ocean swimming, you know, when, what is an estuary ocean swimming? You know, it's That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it, it's perfect, isn't it? In Sydney, if I go for a swim and I go in the ocean, it's quite warm. But in the Lake District in England, it would pretty much be cold all year round, right? How, how did you, what, what made you jump in the water in the first place? We, yeah, what, what do you think the temperature roughly is in, in Sydney? Uh, in the water, I mean, we're in the middle of winter right now. I'd, I'd say the ocean is 19, 20 degrees or something like that. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's very warm. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the... the the lakes don't get above that in in winter um in summer sorry um we did a a long distance loch swim in scotland in august so the, the warmest time of the year uh, september can be a little bit warmer depending on the summer but um and i think that was like a 12 13 kilometer swim and it was about 13 degrees wow but yes yeah, cold it's really cold <laughs> do you ever do you ever swim without a wetsuit or is it is it a wetsuit pursuit the majority of the time when we swim as the three of us we wear wetsuits um because we've all roughly got different paces so robbie robbie's the stockiest he's a weight he's a weightlifter effectively and he does a lot of weight training so he's very muscular he's shorter um so he's a, a slower swimmer. Jack's incredibly tall and has the best stroke and technique. Um, and then I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, so when we swim together, we like to actually swim, you know, next to each other. So we wear wetsuits because the fastest person doesn't, because if you're going at, you know, a pace below your normal pace, then you can develop hyperthermia. You're not going fast enough. Or if you're the slowest and trying to go at someone else's pace, you just, you know, crash out so we wear wetsuits when it's the three of us and then in when we're individual we go skins so most you know some of the bigger swims me and jack did um ice kilometers this year oh, wow yeah so that was a new we'd never done it before and you know you know half the time you, you spend so much time talking about swimming and you're like but i really better push my swimming mm. <laughs> um so yeah we we kind of got into that a little bit Wow, where did you do the ice kilometer? I did it in, in England. Um, so me, there's this whole lovely culture in London. The, so the London Lidos get below, I think the lowest temperature my local Lido got to is two degrees. Really? So it's, yeah, it's yeah, incredibly it's cold. cold. And, and ice swimming has to be below five degrees. So as long as the water drops below five degrees, that's an ice swim. Um, so I, I said to myself in September, I was like, right, this is the first year, no wetsuit, skins, I'm going to swim the whole way through 
go all the way around. Fortuitously, I was about 400 meters. I got moved into a flat very close to the pool and they have this whole culture around it. There's a, um, a wood-fired sauna, um, you know, and it's, you know, you get a real sense of camaraderie in January when it's snowing, nipping, nipping out in your Speedos. There's 10 other people. You don't really talk. You, you're all kind of, some people are like psyching themselves up and other people are, you know, meditating and, and everyone yeah. swims. And then you go in the sauna afterwards and you chat. So it was um, that, I think, other than, that's probably the hardest swim I've done. The, I think the cold, extreme cold is harder than distance, I think. Yeah, how do you prepare for that? How do you, I can see how you prepare for distance by training, but is that the same way you prepare for the cold? It's like a weird combina combination of half of it's like similar to distance training, you know, meticulous repetition and almost like a science. You know, I have to swim every day. I have to do, you know, I, if I miss a week or miss a couple of days, then my body's not acclimatized. So you have this very repetitive, gradual acclimatization. You know, you have to start in September and swim 10 degrees, 9 degrees, 8 degrees, 7 yeah. degrees, 6 degrees. Uh, but then that also feeds the psychological side of it. And it's almost kind of like extreme condensed meditation because you have to really focus on your breathing and your basically going into uh, your self-inducing early stage hypothermia yeah in the knowledge that you know how far you can go so with the ice swimming an ice swim basically begins when you get out of the water and it's all about the recovery um so the hardest part of the swim is once you've got out the water and you know you, you might do an ice kilometer, I think, took, you know, 20, 20 minutes, un, a little bit under because you're quite slow in the cold water. But the recovery can be up to 45 minutes, you know, multi-stage recovery. You have to do various things in various orders. You know, it's, uh, mine was I'd get out, you'd pack towel dry because if you rub, it brings the blood vessels to the surface. So you pack, pack towel dry, leave the swim cap on, immediately push flip-flops on to stop losing heat through the feet small bite of chocolate to get to kick in and then i would do like stretches but not too warm because you can't go too warm too quickly because then you get after drop and I've heard so then of the you drop, yeah yeah and then you have to go for, and then then you have to you know gradually warm up in the chain because what you want to do is jump in a hot shower or jump in a boiling hot sauna but that that then can you know in, lead to cardiac arrest or fainting so you have to gradually do it but then there's this weird <laughs> you're then in a public place doing that so you're in a in a sauna with 15 other people who've maybe done like a two minute swim or a three minute swim and i would go in with my woolly hat on <laughs> holding a flask of tea and you basically uncontrollably shake yeah right. and about 20 minutes and i'd be sat there and i'd be like <laughs> shaking <laughs> And, and you can't speak, you know, your mouth kind of, you know, you start slurring your words, you're a bit like confused a little bit. Um, yeah, your tongue's so, probably you know, frozen, right? Like, yeah, 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 so you're there shaking away and, <laughs> and slurring and everyone's like, are you all right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's just part of the process. <laughs> <laughs> are you tempted to do it again? I, I am, I am. It was, so that was, we, that was, I managed to do the kilometre, but the, that's kind of the fool's, 
the fool's challenge really the ice mile is like the mile right yeah and you know i've heard people say it's tougher than the channel and a kilometer it was manageable like i'm not an you know i'm not a i've never swam more than 14 15 kilometers in the ocean so i'm not like a marathon swimmer i've never done any of the big channels but that kilometer the kilometer was really really tough and took a lot out of you i don't know how people that that extra 600 meters yeah yeah <laughs> well i look forward to seeing you uh, posting about <laughs> that <laughs> well i i'm, I'm screwed now because i'm in singapore so the water yeah that's right you're totally <laughs> unacclimatized now <laughs> <laughs> And so what, what got you into the wild swimming in the first place? You talked about your grandma in the, in the Lake District. Was it, was it that, getting reconnected with, uh, with nature, that sort of thing? Probably a combination of kind of, we were into it before I'd ever even thought about it. Like we, we grew up outdoors. We were always, you know, swimming in rivers, going to the beaches. Yeah, grandma in Scotland lived in the wilds. Our mum never taught us to be afraid of nature. And it's something I see now where, because we get approached by a lot of groups who kind of promote safe swimming and, and anti-drowning. And I'm totally, obviously, I'm totally for that. Who, you know, it's like, well, of course. Yeah, who isn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who, I, I'm pro-drowning in swimming. Well, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's important that this group's doing it. But it's just, I don't think it's the thing that you should encourage more than the act itself. Um, you know, there's not people out there, you know, championing how dangerous hill walking is uh -huh. because pe people die climbing mountains every year um and it, i think there's a little bit of the health and safety wrapping cotton wool brigade that's in the uk at the moment um you know there's so we there was a report last week and my little brother did an interview um with bbc news about water pollution in the rivers and the report said not a single river in the uk is safe to swim in okay right <laughs> which frankly is complete nonsense you know we've swam in countless you know at least 15 16 rivers over the last five years never got an ill you know you, you're not convincing me that we swam the source to sea rivers you know the whole length of rivers it's kind of scaremongering headline grabbing if you're interested in the outdoors why would you spend your time trying to stop people going outdoors as opposed to yes there are risks that's yep. why we're doing it. Like, if you don't want the risks, then just stay at home. But if you want to swim in the ocean, there's waves and there's currents and you need to learn about them. There's wildlife and you need to learn about them. Or there's cold and you need to learn how to overcome it. Um, I think people want what I'd call Insta Instagram wild. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. That Instagram, actually, I mean, this is how I learned about wild swimming. There's there's a lot of wild swimmers on Instagram. Some beautiful places in the world. We're, apologies, we're, we, we've uh, in no part helped that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. So it's good. <laughs> and uh, uh, as far as I understand from, from reading your story, that you guys started off by swimming 140 kilometres down the River Eden. Was that seriously your first swim together, 140 kilometres? That, yeah, that was our... It, it was our, Well, it was our, actually our second... Seconds. I mean, as brothers, you know, we swam in lakes and swam in the, at the beach. We'd never ever 
worn a swim cap and goggles and done a swim together though. River swimming is very different to ocean swimming because it's much less psychologically challenging. The, the, the banks are never that far away from you. And there's always, even if it's a, not a very fast flowing river, you can rest, do breaststroke, lie on your back, let the current take you. So actually river swimming, I would argue, is one of the best for beginners. And at that stage, we were very much beginners, you know, okay, there's, there's rapids and waterfalls, but as long as you plan out a route, you, you can be very safe. Um, there's no real threats of, of wildlife in any rivers in Europe, so you don't have that psychological challenge. Um, the, yeah, I think a lot of it for beginners is that it's too, too, the depth of the water, deep water fear and wildlife and, and a river swim it was kind of like it was more of a a road trip yeah 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 <laughs> i know that sounds strange because obviously it sounds extreme in the distance and etc but really it was me my brothers and a couple of friends from school you know me you know meandering down a river for nine days that um, sounds pretty awesome camp at night and then get back in camped at night i, I feel like that the purest form of what how i enjoy swimming that captures it in its entirety really it's an adventure swimming is only part of it it's mm -hmm. you know there's more to it than that you're exploring somewhere new you're with other people of all the challenges we've done and solo swims short swims long swims cold swims i think the i'd urge people a group river swim even if it's you know a two-day swim just you know 10k camp overnight 15k to finish or something there's there's something wonderful wonderful about the the river swimming and that's really what kicked kind of kicked it off for us and we started that because it was our childhood river we'd grown up with the river flowing past our garden and we sold our family home um and decided to swim that river to kind of say goodbye and close the chapter of our childhood and then after that it's all just got out of control really and here we are. <laughs> so how long do you think you'll have to swim? I mean, you've lived in, you're living in Singapore for a year. How long a river swim are you going to need to detox from living in Singapore? A lot, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's again, this is not really, I've really thought about it since moving here is it, this may not be the case and I'm maybe on a small anecdotal sample of data but it seems to be here so far that there's not the same concept because everyone i speak to well you know, is there anywhere good to swim outdoors in singapore you know where can i swim outdoors well you've, the pool the outdoor pool you've got one at your condo yep. um no but like you know somewhere a, a lake a, a, you know a reservoir somewhere um and and no one really swims outdoors and there's one beach where you can kind of swim but it's all gated off with you know barriers and there's a hundred freighter ships just outside the barrier um so it doesn't i don't know whether it requires how long it requires a society to disconnect from nature singapore is only you know formed 1965 it's a relatively young country you've got a, a society who's just experiencing the benefits of modernization i don't how it would be interesting to know how long that then becomes you know, oh well look at what we've lost yeah you know look look at the nature that we've lost look at the wildlife we've lost i think 
unfortunately, in the UK, we lost that nature and wildlife you know, hundreds of years ago. I was reading a story about the last wolf in the UK, and it was the mm. 1760s, the last wolf was shot. And people forget these things. And, and how can there be a report in the UK that not a single river is safe to swim in? So I think it takes a little bit of time for people to become disconnected and then want to return. But yeah, Singapore's I'm swimming more than I've ever swum yeah, because okay. there's a pool outside so I can swim every day. It's warm, so I don't have to psych myself up or anything, but it, I feel soft. I but feel, it's different, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's another thing I'm definitely learning that you kind of, you're, you rise to the challenge. And if the challenge is a 35 degree heated infinity pool, you're not going to rise that much. Yep, if you've yep. grown up swimming in Sydney with, you know, dangerous wildlife or, you know, you have to get used to swimming with, um, you know, large um, great whites or different species of shark, then you're, you're probably much more comfortable in that because you've risen to it. If you grow up swimming in Scandinavia, you're probably much more used to cold temperatures and tougher as a result. I think I'm undoing years of hard work here. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm in some pretty cool places, like up in Scandinavia through the maelstroms and uh, you know, between Europe and Asia, or Asia and Europe, I think, was it? At the, at the Hellesport and various locks and whatever. Have you got like a, what was your favourite? What was the most challenging? Um, I think one of the most iconic ones, and probably lots of people would say this, but I did a, uh, the solo Alcatraz swim. Ah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. It was really... I just loved San Francisco. It was shrouded in fog, incredibly atmospheric. I went down to Golden Gate and there was the, you know, the fog horns booming. You could only see half of the bridge. Spent the week kind of swimming um, down at the Dolphin Club and you know, one of the oldest, most iconic swimming clubs and just swimming in that bay and then it all builds up to the Alcatraz swim. And I'd urge people to do it on their own because I think it's a much more... Um, all-encompassing experience and you kind of you know you go out on the boat and there's not you know there's no real chance of sharks but just for someone who we haven't really grown up swimming you know if you grow up in south africa or australia or new zealand or you know west coast of the u.s you're very much used to swimming in waters where there are sharks but for most of the swimmers that's quite a rarity so for me that was a real excitement of well the they're not really here, but they might be. But they might be, uh, yeah. They might be. Uh, I actually saw last month there was a, uh, some footage on YouTube of some fishermen who hooked a 15-foot great white at Alcatraz. Um, wow. Okay. So they are there. Yeah, so they're they are around. There. There. Yeah. They are there, but you obviously, you know, you're not going to see one. There's no chance of it. But it's just that feeling that they were added so much excitement to the swim, and you kind of go out on the – a tugboat and it's chugging in the morning and the, the, the mist's there and the, you know, there's a guy on the radio going, oh, we have a swimmer and swimmer approaching Alcatraz. We have clearance from the Coast Guard, swimmer, swimmer in the water in 10. And then they'll turn to you and you're all there and your speeders and they're like, right, are you ready for the jump? Are you ready for the jump? He's like, swimmer entering the water in 10 seconds. And I was like, yeah, oh, God, be. So, <laughs> yeah. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I was in the rock or something. It was there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how hard, you know, how hard is that to tee up? Because... You know, if you need to make sure the ferries don't drive over the top of you. Uh, I, you just do it. You can't, well, 
I'm sure you could do it with the, the, maybe the local swimming club on your own, or I'm sure local swimmers occasionally do it on their own. Um, but I went with a, um, just a local company um, who they took me out on the boat. They guide you because it's not, it's very cold. I think it was 12 degrees. And depending on the currents, it can be, you know, an hour and 15, an hour and a half. So it's quite cold. Um, it's pretty you know, lengthy. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty choppy. It's not, it's, in, it's just in that sweet spot. I think, you know, if you're not a really experienced swimmer for something that's really challenging, incredibly iconic, very memorable, um, people love to, other people know it. So there's much more challenging swims that no one's ever heard of. And Alcatraz does hold that kind of iconic status. Um, so I think that's probably w one of, one of my favorites. And then, yeah, we do like the cold swims. The, Ar the Arctic Circle swims were phenomenal. I mean, we just absolutely, yeah, we found out this uh, last night, um, there's a girl called Ellen Taylor and her mum who went out to the Arctic Circle. She'd read Jack's book um, and they went and swam the Saltstrom, which was the second largest maelstrom. And we were the first people to swim it, but they are the first women to swim it, mother and daughter beat us they, they won up to us and didn't do it in wetsuits so ah. that that was just such an amazing moment to think it was so awesome to 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 know that someone else has gone and done that had that experience it's kind of it's really remote up on the northwest coast of norway you know you're in the arctic circle there's this amazing ship captain called nut knut vestvig uh he's you know he's been there for taking tours to the maelstrom for 20 years he's got sea eagles up in his um, ship cabin um you know incredibly incredibly That's like cool. wise and old a ship captain yeah. never says a word um i sent him an email years ago that was you know this email saying we're a bunch of swimmers from the uk you know i've been looking at the maelstrom uh, i don't think anybody's swum it we'd love to charter your boat etc and <laughs> And all he responded was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that swim must have taken some meticulous planning. That, that, yeah, that was the most planning for a swim. Because the river swim, I know it sounds, but the river does the work for you. There's, a, there's sure, only yeah. one direction you can go. You know, anybody who's a, a, relative, a, a medium competent swimmer could do a source to see river swim. You find the source. You roughly work out how far you want to swim each day. We had, you know, uh, our mum meeting us, or if you could get a friend to drop a tent off every day. Um, not that difficult to plan. Um, the Maelstroms, it was the first swim we'd done, which no one had, well, no one had done the Eden, but the, lots of people have done river swims. Um, Maelstrom swimming is pretty infant. Of, of There's about eight known Maelstroms in the world, of which only one of them, had ever been swum previously okay. so it was pretty difficult to work out how to swim across it how safely um yeah i did i don't think i knew it was a thing until i saw uh that you guys had done it so maybe oh, i don't know that i mean they must exist down this way but uh, I, I didn't I didn't really know of these places until i saw that that you'd done it no it's it's probably chance that we kind of happened upon it because there's one of the most well-known ones is in scotland uh, it also happens to be where the best whiskey in the world is from. Oh, that's handy. Um, 
which is handy. And I, I think I'd heard about it years ago because it's where George Orwell wrote 1984. Right, okay. So he, he, he went to this desolate island of Jura, which is on the west coast of Scotland, to write. Uh, you know, it's incredibly lonely and, and desolate place. Um, and he was shipwrecked by the maelstrom. Him and his cousin and nephew had their uh, ship crashed against the rocks and it was dragged into the maelstrom. Um, and I just remember, I don't know where I read it, and I was like, this is so, so cool. cool. An actual whirlpool that dragged George Orwell into it yeah. when he was writing 94. I was like, this, is, this almost doesn't seem real. Um, and we looked into it, and then, you know, there's quite a few people who have swum it. The first person who swum the Corrie Vrecken, it's called the Corrie Vrecken as well, and there's these legends of um, a, a Celtic goddess who draped her hair into the ocean and it formed a maelstrom. So there's all this amazing history and lore. And, and the first person to ever swim it was George Orwell's um, one-legged nephew. <laughs> right. uh, so he's, um, he, it was his nephew, who's Mark Blair, I believe. And he had one leg and he swam it on the anniversary um, in 1984. So wow. after George Orwell's death, he went to Jura in 1984. He swam across the Corrie Brecken, first person ever to do it, first maelstrom. Actually, no, sorry, this is, he's the second person to ever swim across a maelstrom, the first person to ever try swimming across a maelstrom, and arguably one of the most famous swimmers of all time is um, Sir Robert Webb, who was the first person to swim across the English Channel. He right, was yeah. a great British swimmer, but it swam across the channel breaststroke and in his time was a celebrity and for his final uh, challenge that he was going to do that was going to be his nest egg for retirement and his final statement there's a maelstrom at the bottom of one of the pools of the niagara falls and he wanted to swim across the maelstrom and he died uh, attempting it oh wow so halfway across the maelstrom he was dragged under and he was never seen again and they never found his body so when you're trying to plan a swim and yeah, the, only per the first person to attempt it was arguably the pioneer of mar uh, channel swimming and he perished and the second person ever to attempt it had this insane level of personal motivation you know mm -hmm. his his uncle was george orwell who was shipwrecked you know there's a level of psychology there which is just giving him strength beyond what anyone else would have for that swim he'd since passed away as well so there was not really much precedence to base the swim on no one to talk to about <laughs> no, no and i found there's a guy called simon murray who runs a company called swim trek who do like adventure swimming um and he was the second person to swim the Corrie brecken in 2002 i think and he said i spoke to him and he was like we just went there and we listened to the ship captain there was a ship captain who was from the area who was taking tours and he just thought, let's do it. You know, we can plan this safely. Um, and he kind of advised me that I needed to go and build a relationship with the ship captain first and then return and develop some credibility and trust. So it, I just got into that world and I was like, it's so interesting. And then I found these other maelstroms. There's one, there is one in New Zealand. Um, it's called Tiawamuti and it's, there's a legend of um, the King Tiawamuti who rode 
a giant bird which crashed into that area and created the maelstrom. And then there's also another legend of a dolphin called Pelorus Jack who lived in the maelstrom and met Captain Cook and there's all these amazing tales and yeah, it's, it harkens back to a world of tea-stained maps and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you going to try and swim all eight of them? So yeah, so we've done that. We've done the Moskstrauman and the Saltstrauman and the Corybrecken. So they're the three biggest by volume and strength. Um, the next one is uh, Naruto in Japan, the Naruto Maelstrom, um, which we're planning at the moment for uh, March next year, which is, it's a very challenging swim because the language barrier is um, pretty immense. I've got a friend who lives in Japan who's kind of helping me translate emails, but it's there's such nuanced terminology mm. when trying, even to a very experienced swimmer, the terminology and the nuances are incredibly exact. So trying to explore something so precise in another language is really difficult. Um, for instance, on the Saltstraumen, the second biggest maelstrom, we, we calculated with the tidal charts that we had to set off at 6.28 p.m. on the Monday morning, that the exact window of safety was 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you, you effectively are trying to catch the maelstrom as the tide switches. So that's the non-suicidal part of the swim. Yep. Without, without that, we finished that swim in 10 minutes, 45 seconds. So a margin of error of just over a minute. Not much. Not much. Uh, you know, a language barrier that just gets a, that wrong by a minute, and you're a goner. And you're a goner. Yeah, so that one was quite short, but one of the other maelstroms was eight kilometers or something. It was a, it was a much longer swim. Eight, eight kilometers. Yeah, they're really, they're really unique. And so, yeah, so it's, it's effectively where you get two really deep ledges. So you have an incredibly deep channel on either side of a really shallow ledge. And what happens is as the tides change and move, these two huge deep chasms of water rush up over a really shallow channel. So huge volumes of water in opposing directions, and that's what creates them. That, that distance across, you know, the salt strand was like 350 meters. Uh, the Moss Strammons, yeah, eight kilometers. Um, the, that was mainly cycle. There's a lot of orcas in that region. Um, yeah, well, this is my next question. Not only is it cold, there's killer whales. Yes, I would be completely lying to you if I said that it, I wasn't terrified. And it's irrational. No one has been killed by a killer whale in the wild ever. Um, the only attacks on humans have been you know, animals that have effectively been tortured in captivity and kept for our amusement. So it's not a, I wouldn't blame and begrudge the odd orca for attacking a, uh, I better not say that, but you know what I mean? I can see why yeah, I mean, yeah. it happened. Um, so, you know, it's totally irrational. It's similar to, you know, well, Great Whites is, is more rational, but it's still relatively irrational because of the statistics and the numbers, the volume of people swimming daily versus the number of attacks. But so we kind of knew, look, even if we see them, they're highly intelligent. They'll come and have a look at us. More importantly, they're herring pods in Norway. So they're a, a species of killer whales that specifically hunt herring and fish. Apparently, there is more danger with the species of killer whaling 
California and Argentina, which hunt seals. Obviously, well, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, but at the same time, you just don't want to be the first statistic. You t- yeah. You know, it's it. I don't want to say it will happen, but you you really don't want to be that first statistic. And it was definitely playing, you know, on our minds. Um, I've I've never really been in the water with a large predator and seen it. You know, I've swam places where there are potentially great whites or did some swims in Venezuela where there's bull sharks or, mm. but the, yeah, it was, they're just massive. And, and, and it was that thought of potentially being in the water for so long and potentially seeing them. Um, that was something new to kind of try and cope with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. You don't get them in lakes. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then I was like, why didn't we stick to the UK? <laughs> And in, is your your next swim? Uh, is that the Lake Windermere swim? No, no. So unfortunately, we're not doing Windermere. Um, okay. It, we were trying to plan it with. We're all in different places at the moment. Robbie's in Bratislava. I'm in Singapore. Jack's in London. Um, Robbie was planning Windermere, and he's he he didn't manage to get all of the logistics and the um, structure in place for. It's a very public lake. Um, and we wanted to have it as like a group swim, um, but Robbie didn't manage, you know, didn't manage to pull off the organisation and the structure of the swim. So we we're postponing Windermere to next year, to next August. Um, and then we what we've I'm doing a swim in Malaysia around something called the Parentian Islands, um, which is a 16 kilometre swim around the islands. And it's kind of you know I've never done a long distance tropical swim. There's lots and lots of reef sharks nothing too dangerous um and then the, the next swim for all three of us is um naruto back to back to the maelstroms back to the maelstroms well you, you should come down to australia during summer and, and do some of the swims up the coast i mean yeah, we do have we, sharks but i've never seen one so you've never seen a, a shark while swimming no sydney harbour's full of bull sharks as far as i know but no i've never seen never seen anything have you had a friend or a swimmer you know ever had an incident? No. I mean, you see plenty of um, little jellyfish, little blubbery things, and sometimes you can see some fish and, and reef and whatnot, but I've never seen any sharks. Oh, I do know people that have seen sharks, but uh, yeah. no, I've never seen any. Yeah, I think it's just the paranoia. It's, I had this conversation with a friend the other day who hadn't seen Jaws. Uh, like, okay. He's a surfer, and I was like, don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't, no, don't watch it. <laughs> don't watch it. Don't watch it. That's an entire generation of people who are irrationally scared. Um, yeah, it, it, it's done nothing for us, I don't think, <laughs> has it? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, because I was looking at, um, is it like Challenge Rock Nest or Rock Nest? Oh, thing? yes, yes, yes. Yep. And well, they did. Um, so well, that was this, uh, maybe this year or last year, they actually pulled a bunch of people out of the water because a shark was spotted. And that's the, the policy, I think. If you see a shark, uh, game over. They pull really? people out, but a whole bunch of people had already finished by that by that time. But yes, there are a lot of sharks over in Western Australia. I don't know how often they're seen. I'm not I'm not sure of the stats there, but no one no one's been attacked in that swim before, and that's quite a famous swim. That one. I think it is. I think it's almost kind of kind of paying your dues, and it's what I felt after Alcatraz was the first swim I'd ever done where there was a, even a, no very slim, but the only first swim I'd ever done where there was a potential of a great white, and it and it was the most. It, it felt actually amazing and I get 
that it's the reason almost for doing it that the fact that they could be there or that they are there if you're doing rot nest makes the challenge so much more enjoyable and actually how boring would it be i had this conversation with someone who's got is very scared of sharks um how boring would it be if they weren't there yeah, yeah. let's go for a swim in the sea there's nothing there yeah. there is nothing um you know nothing to be afraid of nothing that's higher up on the food chain you know would it have the same appeal i think it's part part of it and it's not kind of a you know some weird you know delusion of wanting to be eaten or anything yeah it's just, no it's just the experience that it's part of that it's connecting to it isn't it yeah and it's humbling yourself yeah you're putting yourself in a position where you're not the, the top dog and so much of being a modern human is look how safe i am and look how comfy i am and we've Everything that can kill us is gone, especially the UK. We have no dangerous wildlife. We, kill, we killed it all. And people often ask, you know, like, what's the world going to look like in, you know, the next 50 years? And how, how, how much will, you know, species loss affect us? And I always say to people, look at the UK. It's the perfect example. We're 50 years ahead. We've lost, you, you just lose biodiversity. All yeah. that we have left is pigeons, rats boxes and that's pretty much it in England you know Scotland's got much you know more beautiful wildlife but there's very little left and we used to have you know wild boars and beavers um, you know big pods of killer whales wolves bears and I think you lose something when it goes well there's a there's a real uh, a rewilding push in the UK isn't it maybe it's almost parallel to the to the wild swimming idea actually getting nature back there's a huge push for it and it's i think you have to has to be done in the right way because i think there's a you can risk risk it becoming almost like a large you know like almost like a zoo effectively Uh um but yeah they've successfully reintroduced beavers in devon um last i heard they were looking at reintroducing lynx in kielder forest in the north yeah because lynx used to be native to the uk and I think there, you, you just lose a sense of wonder when you lose the big wildlife. And, you know, you've never seen a shark swimming in, in Australia. And we didn't see orcas swimming in Norway. But that sense of wonder, that knowing that an animal like that is there, is enough to make that place magical and to make that experience amazing. So I think you really lose something when you lose the big wildlife. And I've heard a lot of swimmers especially ocean swimmers who've had experiences swimming with whales or pods of dolphins that have almost in a way changed their life. And mm. it's, they've had such an amazing experience just out in nature during a swim. I read the book by um, Lynn Cox. I've read day, that too. Yeah. Yeah. The day the whale came and, you know, it's something so profound that I, I think you just, I'd love that. Where are the yeah. whales in Singapore? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's much living in the waters around there anymore, is there at all? I don't no, know. I, no, I spoke to... The problem with Singapore, there, there's lots of things that they're doing right with um, their environmental policies and that, you know, they, pl- they plant more, a lot of trees and they have a, a good part of their infrastructure is built with an environmental conscious, but there's lots of reclaimed land Mm-hmm. I was speaking to a taxi driver the other day who said that where I live used to be where the seafront was. And I'm 
200 meters, 300 meters away from the sea now. So they've built this huge area of reclaimed land. And he was saying that, you know, when before then, you know, they used to fish every day. There was colonies of um, green sea turtles and hatcheries up the coast. Um, and since they built all the reclaimed land and had, you know, the world's busiest shipping port just just uh, just off the coast, I think, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting challenge. And I think as a swimmer, you're very much connected to it in a different way because you're in the ocean every day. And, you know, you're, I'm sure you've seen, you know, an increase of pollution. You know, I was swimming here the other day and like, I got a plastic bag full on the face. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks before I was swimming with my dog, he's a really keen swimmer. And both of us kind of, I felt something sticky on my hand and I kind of looked at my hand and it was black and I was like, what is that? And it was oil. And I stopped and looked around me and we were just in this oil patch and we spent pretty much, you know, seven or eight hours of me and him in the shower with like bicarbonate of soda scrubbing all this oil off and there'd been an oil slick. And Oh, really? So I think you're, yeah, you're very much plugged into it as a swimmer and you're directly affected by pollution you're much closer to the natural world i mean it's, it's not a high and mighty thing but you're just you you are more exposed to it yeah i, I think that's right that, that, that's my experience too you know with beach cleanups and all that sort of thing people that use the beach are usually pretty in tune with the whole idea of getting rid of pollution yeah i, I would totally agree and i think it's obviously not everyone but most people who enjoy the outdoors you know I think are probably more conscious of not littering and, you know, taking their rubbish with them. You know, I, I think it's obviously not the case a hundred percent of the time, but I, I would, I'm sure that if you canvassed popular opinion, people who spend their time doing outdoor sports um, are probably more likely to be aware or conscious or trying to limit in some way their environmental footprint. And that's one thing that we really think swimming can do is ocean swimming, sea swimming, river swimming, wild swimming, whatever you want to call it. It is probably the cheapest and easiest way to immediately get back in touch with nature. And it's, we had this argument about the pollution in the rivers and we, what we were trying to say was, well, we should experience it. If the rivers are dirty, we should swim in them and then we should clean them. It, the mm-hmm. fact that they're yeah. dirty is not, that means that we, we should keep doing what we're doing. And if we weren't swimming in them, we wouldn't notice. This is what's happened. People have stopped you know, living outdoors every day and spending their time outdoors and we, you fail to notice what's going on. So actually by swimming in them, even if they're not 100% clean, that's kind of the point. And then you realize yeah. and do something about it. That is the point, um, yeah. And and I think it's true. I think, you know, especially in the UK and especially for if, if you're if you're lower income bracket, if you are you have hurdles or barriers in your way to uh, accessing sports equipment, purchasing sports equipment, um, you know, lots of more traditional outdoor sports are quite expensive. If you want to get into cycling, well, guess what? A bike's pretty expensive. Yeah, you need clip in shoes. You need your helmet. Um, 
canoeing, that canoe is going to be sailing, etc. I love all those activities, but they are more expensive and harder to get into. Swimming, you can you just, just do it in the And that's, you know, and you don't need to go for long. You can jump in, you know, just swim breaststroke for five minutes in a stream or a lake and you'll get that feeling. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be a very, you know, classist or elitist outdoor activity. Obviously, when you start getting up to, you know, marathon swimmers, it's, you have to be incredibly skillful and trained, but it's all different walks of life. And it's also one of the kind of most sexually agnostic activities out there where at the top end, you know, women are regularly out competing men. And I would probably, especially now, argue that the best open water marathon swimmers have, are all women. Um, there's a Sarah Thomas who did a 104 mile swim in the US is wow. going for a four-way channel swim at the moment. I think I, I think, I don't know when it is. I think she's waiting for her weather window. A four-way a four channel. Has anyone ever done four-way? There's a, another lady. I think she might be Australian, actually. Or maybe she's American, called Chloe McArdle. Oh, um, she's Australian, yeah. She, yeah, she, she's done, so she's done three, three ways. Oh, she's done three ways, okay. And she's tried a four-way, and I think she didn't manage the four-way. And then I was re I watched the Kim Kim Swims documentary on Netflix about the lady who swam from the Farallon Islands to San Francisco, and I I took a boat out there after Alcatraz to treat myself on like a wild uh, wildlife watching trip. Yeah, and it's this desolate rock about twenty miles out from San Francisco. Nothing else around it. Huge colony of seals, and it's one of the biggest migratory routes of great whites in the world a great white hotspot and i just couldn't i couldn't imagine even that anybody at two in the morning in pitch black had managed to get off that boat and just swim to the island surrounded by the seals and even start the swim let alone carry on and it's a yeah it seems to be it's an, i like being involved in something where it's not like a macho chest beating sport even if you yeah. want to call it that yeah. it, you know it's well let's see how tough you are it's there's no point big talking about it there's no point overblowing it because when you get in the water it's just you and your thoughts and you're... yep Are you tempted by the English Channel? I am tempted by the English Channel. It's yeah, my my little, my little brother Jack's really really keen for it. Um, we need to be living by the sea for a, a you know I couldn't train for it in Singapore. Yeah, I'm, I'm really the, the ones that we most want to do. You know, if I was wrinkly on my deathbed and the swims I hadn't done, the one I really want to do the English Channel. I really want to do an ice mile. I really want to do finish the Maelstroms. I would love to do Robben Island. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, another kind of I love the swims that have history and mm. I, you just you you can just feel it, they're an iconic swim. And I I went to South Africa when I was fifteen on a rugby tour and went to Robben Island and it was my first time ever leaving Europe and you know it was a, an incredible experience. So I'd love, but it's I do I do struggle 
psychologically in the long long distance with with great whites <laughs> right yeah 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 for those really cold ones you'd probably want to put on 20 kilos of fat wouldn't you because you do like triathlons and swim runs and things like you'd be pretty lean yeah i so i had to get a bit fat for the ice kilometer and it was a weird it's it's so strange like okay it's just vanity and it's your ego but at the same time i felt a bit weird getting a bit i put on a bit of weight and it was the first time I looked at like, I've lost it now because I've been sweating for three months, but <laughs> I, you know, I looked at a photo in January and I had a big jowl and I'd never seen myself with a jowl before. And my girlfriend yeah. had started to notice. She was like, because I was basically in the, in the evenings just drinking strawberry milkshake and eating ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and there's part of you that feels a bit guilty because you're like, I'm enjoying this. I'm yeah. enjoying the fact that for training, I have to have a pint of strawberry milkshake before bed. And I, yeah, I put on, you know, quite a bit of weight and it did make a difference. I think I'd be, I enjoyed it. I kind of like that kind of, um, I love to see the swimmer at the pool that rocks up and everyone's like, who's that guy? It's freezing. It's two degrees and yeah, yeah. never seen him before. And, and Doesn't then look just, like much of an athlete. Yeah. You know, big beer belly and yeah. just rocks up and knocks out an ice mark. There's, there's a lady at my local pool who, Julie, I think she was 40, 46, yet you would never, ever think she was a, you know, an extreme athlete. And she just casually used to do ice kilometers for breakfast on a, on a daily basis and didn't really, you know, and just without even thinking. And yeah. I got into the sauna one day and I got chatting to her and I was like, yeah, I'm done, for, you know, 600 meters today i'm you know going for the ice ice kilometer she was like oh yeah i just did you know 24 lengths what's that 1.2 kilometers <laughs> and i was like oh my like, god okay <laughs> yeah and, and, and then she just was like oh you're trying a kilometer oh i might go for the mile then and then a couple of weeks later on a monday morning just got a text yeah i've done the done the ice mile yeah, did the mile <laughs> <laughs> do another one tomorrow <laughs> and i love that it's, it's i think it's the one beautiful thing about open water swimming and oceans, especially when you get to the marathon swimmers, you just can't tell. And, and, you know, you can tell who, who's the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. And you can tell who the hundred meter sprint champion is. And there's nothing wrong, you know, that peak physical fitness, but there's something that I love about just somebody getting up and being like, actually, do you know what? For this sport that I do, that's incredibly extreme. Like I would, I would, I think there's a strong argument to be made that of all extreme sports, long distance ocean swimming is probably the most, no other sport do you have to worry about large scale wildlife eating you. That is yep. not, even high altitude climbers, which is kind of on that precipice of, you know, incredibly extreme in touch with nature. There's a different level of fear, but it's the unpredictable element of an, of an animal. And there are, you know, the Kim Swims documentary, the, there was a guy who tried to do the swim before her who had to get pulled because of a great white. Right. Um, he's an Australian bloke, and he was so funny in his interview. He's like, yeah, I'm not, not too worried about sharks. It's mainly crocodiles that worry me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're a thing too. <laughs> no, they, pro- they scare me. Well, yeah, if you, were wild, if you were wild swimming in north of Australia, there's crocodiles everywhere. I don't know. If, I don't think people do that. Like, it's just you just don't do that. No, that I, I we got um, we were kind of a, a year or two back coming up with some 
ideas for a TV series of a production company that was going to be almost like um, Top Gear does swimming, you know, kind of going on a road, an adventure as swimmers, camping along the way. And we got approached by a production company who was like, do you think you could do like a Heart of Darkness style um, swim down the Congo? Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> you will, we will be eaten by a, a crocodile within a day. You know, it, it, I think they're pretty much the only wildlife. I, had, I, there's, I read about Lewis Pugh did some swims in the Arctic and he spoke about leopard seals in a similar way. You just can't, if yeah, there's one right. in the water, you can't. It's not like a shark where you assess the movement of the shark. You know, where are the fins? Is it circling? Is it in an aggressive manner? You know, a lot of the time, from what I've read, ocean swimmers might see a shark on a marathon swim. And the shark leaves and they carry yeah. on swimming. I think crocs are incredibly territorial and, and just go for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't think sharks are typically interested in you, but I think crocs are. They will come and get yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a lot around here. There's there's a, uh, about 25 saltwater crocs in the north of Singapore. We were in... Yeah, my, me and my girlfriend were in Borneo last weekend. We went to see the proboscis monkeys with the big noses. And I was like, it's going to be amazing swimming. You know, it's going to be beautiful. And everywhere there was do not swim signs, crocodiles, crocodiles. And we spoke to a few people. They lose, yeah, about every two weeks, someone gets eaten by a croc. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I had never really thought about it. And yeah, the migratory routes for um, estuarine and saltwater crocodiles are all over Indonesia, all the way up through Singapore. Um, all over, across the Philippines. There was a kid who got eaten by one in the Philippines the other day, and apparently the rising sea temperatures mean that you there's a lot of crocs making the crossing from northern Queensland to Timor-Leste. I don't know what the straits right. are called. There's a straits there. Yeah, um, yeah. Good news. Yeah. Great. Thanks <laughs> for sending us all your crocs. They're coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken up heaps of your time, but I, uh, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Your videos and stuff, they're all very, they're great. Your videos are really well produced and you've got the books. How do you manage your media? Who, who does all that? Because it's, it, it's really lovely stuff. It's, yeah, it's been, um, you should have seen the first website we did. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I built the first website that we made and obviously it was an offence to graphic design <laughs> and media. So it's, I think we've just, uh, it's been a gradual process, yeah. The first post we ever did on Instagram, you'd look at it and, and your eyes would hurt. You know, it's taken us a, it's, we've never been afraid to do something that doesn't look great. So actually that's led to this, you know, process over the last five years where we, because we just started taking a picture on a rubbish camera and posting it, it's allowed us to get better. And yep. my little brother, Jack, is he's always been a writer and he's a really, really skilled writer and you know, that's uh, our, the book was written by him. He writes a lot of our um, blog posts and stuff. And I think all three of us really enjoy writing. Robbie, my older brother, is a really talented artist. Um, so he does a lot of drawing and sketches and has a really good eye for design. I think to, we just enjoy it. And sometimes you get caught in this kind of catch 22 of like, well, should I be filming this? Should I take a picture? Like, do I need to? Um, especially like as we've kind of created it, it's, you know, oh God, every time I go for a swim, have I got to take a pic and yeah, yeah. put it online? And like, it's, 
you know, I've, it, it's a weird kind of, you don't want to get caught in that too much. And at the same time though, it's, we just enjoy it and we enjoy yeah. kind of having a record of it. And I know that one day I'm going to have kids and they'll be, you know, <laughs> laughing at me because I use YouTube and don't yeah, use Yeah, whatever that, yeah. Yeah. No one cares about YouTube anymore, Dad. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, but look at this video we did. It's got 200 views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think we, we enjoy it. And I love, I love writing about swimming. Um, you know, I love hearing about other people swimming. You know, we, I love helping people. Uh, you know, we're writing a, a series on how to plan your own expedition. And I love, I love that kind of side of it. And yeah, I, I like to have a record of it. And it just so happens now that, you know, back in the day, you'd have, um, my grand did it. You'd have a photo, you'd go on holiday, you'd take 200 photos, you'd put them in a photo album, and you'd have that in your house forever. And every, anytime anyone came around, it's like, should we do Corfu 1998 again? And you're like, oh my God, grandma, I've seen it a hundred times. <laughs> This is what we had for breakfast on the first day. And then we went to this church and then we went to this beach. So people have been doing this, you know, for years. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. now it's just online. And instead of having a physical photo of them in my house that I force you to look through when you come around and you politely mumble your way through, you know, it's online. And, yep. and the nice thing about online and is you don't have to look. Yeah. Um, and we always have these conversations with people. It's, if you're not interested in it, yeah, don't look at it. Don't it's worry. Like, yeah, don't follow me. Yeah, it's kind of like going up to you know a notice board, and there's a notice board with yoga classes, and calling them up and going, "I didn't want yoga classes. <laughs> why, why are you?" At, and like, it's not for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're not yeah. if you're not interested in swimming, if you follow don't the follow World Swimming Brothers, I can yeah. tell what you. What are you doing? It's not compulsory. <laughs> you've probably gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I think oh. you'll find I think you'll find with this podcast that the people there's a lot of people out there who don't want to just be you know reading clickbait titles and wasting their time on social media and people want to read stuff or look at stuff that's engaging and it's nice to try and add something into the the ether of the online world that's uh, uh, a little bit more thoughtful. Yeah. Well. I hope so. I certainly hope so because I like this <laughs> whole idea of chatting and hearing what you've got to say because you're an interesting person and so hopefully people listen but <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Thanks very much to Callum Hudson for taking so much time to chat to us here on the pod. If you'd like to read any more about what Callum is up to or check out the next adventure of the Wild Swimming Brothers, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And from there, you'll find links to all of that good stuff. Thanks for listening in. That was very cool. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>